Edwards. Mm-hmm. Steve Edwards. Um, she came up with something I, I just have to share Zero. really quickly. We were on the, Mike and I were on the podcast MuggleCast, and I guess over the years we just referred to ourselves as the MuggleCasters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left my girlfriend to record this episode uh, tonight of Game of Owns, and she said, say hi to the owners for me. <laughs> The and owners. I had to like double take because she didn't capitalize it, which is the thing. It's like I think if we were to adopt the name, we would capitalize it. I have serious shit with people who don't capitalize like the M and the N, especially the N in MuggleNet. But still, but still, the owners, dude, how badass is that? I mean, it's good. It's good. Uh, I like it. Much like Danny in today's episode, we also ride into a new and unknown location. And that is Wednesday with the two of us. Eric and I have decided to grace ourselves with each other's presence. Eric, I'm quite graced. Thank you for coming. Oh, I'm graced as well. It's it's really amazing, Grace. Yeah. It's amazing to be graced by you, Zach. It's amazing to be amazing to be graced by. Does that make any sense? I don't know. False flattery is a theme in this chapter. I swear there was a point to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that, uh, you know, all things considered, I am glad that I'm podcasting with someone who doesn't knowingly have a foot fetish the way that uh, Pyatt Preacher does. That was in, in in this chapter... Pri gives Danny a little kiss on her footsies. He and does. That doesn't quite make sense because she, I, I'm sure she should have responded to him by the, like, I'm up here. What? I'm up here. They're having a conversation. He's looking down at her feet. I, I think it'd be weird that, or it was weird that, that he just kind of did that, but whatever, whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> I, I would have been like, is on, it blue? I would have asked. Maybe she was on horseback or something. And, and so that was why he had to kiss her feet because it was closest. I don't, maybe short. I don't know. Well, it did happen. Pipe pre, aka, as we've come to know and love, Captain Creepy Face. Now, I thought the woman was crap, Captain Creepy Face. The, um, secret woman <laughs> with the, uh, ever since that episode, it I think in the episode, which I believe we called, Captain Creepy, <laughs> was it called Captain Creepy's? Anyway, it was always ambiguous, I think, in the very first episode where you came up right. with a brilliant title, because I think they, they either introduced both characters in one, or at least the, the woman with like the, um, mask, the right. golden Majora's mask on, came up to Danny in that episode, and then you said Captain Creepy Face, and I think you were referring to Pri, but I think it was always a little unclear. It's so funny that you brought that up, because I always thought, that you guys didn't quite like get who I was talking about at the moment and that the listeners might not have either. So I never really, you know what I mean? Like I just never approached the problem ever. I was like, Captain Creepy Face, they like it. It can be whoever they want. <laughs> <laughs> it can, how many people with creepy faces can there be? But it is the big wide world. And I'm sure Danny's just thrilled to see any faces uh, oh my at this God. point. It's so I funny. Mean, well, look, Captain, Captain Creepy Faces. It's just like if you can be a captain of something, why not it be, you know, having a creepy face? Well, the best part about that entire situation is the person I was actually speaking about, you're right, was Quaith, who is in this chapter as ah, the mysterious shadow lady. She is Captain Creepy Face. Yeah, I mean, because you couldn't see her face, and she's a beautiful actress in real life. You know, she hides behind that mask, and she's mysterious, and who knows, we may find out more about her later. In this chapter, on the other hand, she is just as mysterious as she is in the television show, except... You know, we've already come to learn this being this far into a clash of kings that we meet Pyat Pri, we meet Zara, we meet some of the 13 early on when they come and they find her. But now yes. she is actually being brought to the gates of Karth. And this is the interaction that we saw in the TV show. And oh my God, the difference. 
between what we read and what we're talking about now versus what we saw is staggeringly, staggeringly different. I feel like yes. we have been so much cheated out of the grandeur of what Karth could have been on camera. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. I mean, the walls of Karth. All right. Let me. Okay. Go, okay. Yeah. Okay. Especially the inner wall. Yes. I'm surprised they shied away from that on television. Well, you're, it's uh, like, you're right. You, you can stab Rob Stark's wife in the baby womb. Several times, but you can't have an inner wall featuring people fornicating with one another. That would be too much. What are you going to do? Right. But they did change it quite a bit. This whole scene from because she's not, of course, like stranded on her last livable leg and Zaro doesn't have to come out and like vouch for her. Yeah. He doesn't invoke Sumai and cut his hand and look all gallant. (laughs) Yeah. People people really (laughs) like her, I guess, in the books, which is a little odd, but. You know, I, I'm going with it. I'm I mean, going it's with definitely it. strange. In the show, we get to see Danny sort of be haughty. She's saying, I don't need to show you the dragons. I am Daenerys. My word should be enough. But in this case, there's no need for this entire exchange. Like, we don't need this character moment for Danny because she's already shown the dragons to these people. She's already in Karth. She's being taken to Karth. She's looking at the gates. And then when she eventually gets inside of Karth, you know, Drogon is riding on her shoulder. She's got her dragons with her. She's not hiding them. One of the things that I like about Karth, too, is the uh, the manner of dress. I have to say that uh, I think I like the fashions. We're obviously in a, in a pretty uh, – in like the fashion capital of, of the East here. It's it's all very – it's all very – I don't say um, missing, but uh, it's limited, you know. It's, it's hot out and they just wear – Apparently, somehow, the men are keeping away from the sun, and everybody's got this really, really pale skin. Except, of course, for some of the people we meet in this chapter, but... It's kind of mysterious. Yeah, they're called the Milkmen. Quaith is Daenerys from the future. Oh, come on. That can't be possible, can it? I mean, who knows, dude? There's dragons. No, no, no. (laughs) You ever seen a dragon? (laughs) (laughs) No, dude. That is... That's... The reason that doesn't work is because I think if Danny were in any position to be alive and had any insight... In it, like from the future insight, she wouldn't be spending it in Karth. Come on, man. She would still be trying to, she would take what she knows of the seven kingdoms from her attempts at sacking it and go back in time and actually sack it. And by all of that, you mean she would go drink with Robert and hang out and chill because he had, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then she could totally preempt Cersei and become his wife. How crazy would that be, dude? If Robert Baratheon's child was actually a Targaryen. It could be. That would be crazy. It would bring it right back into the natural line of succession. Of course, we're getting slightly off topic, but I like where this is going. Well, what do you think about Jorah here? Because Jorah's kind of, his role in this chapter is also quite different from in the TV series. And Danny is pretty much developing feelings for him, I think. She's really concerned with how he feels about her. Right. I mean, definitely in the book, this is only our second chapter, so it's been a long time since we've read Daenerys. I mean, since we did the first book. Yeah. I think the way she sees Jorah is she understands, like she says in this chapter, I've, you know, I've crossed the red waste. I have birthed the sun-ish. I've birthed dragons-ish. <laughs> you know, I've done all these great things. And she's saying, I've grown much older than my years, essentially, is what she's saying. She's like, I'm 15. I get it. I like how she says that. She's like, I get it. I'm 15, essentially. But I'm older than this. And, and all of that being said, I feel like she is smart enough and wise enough to kind of register the situation and understand the kinds of advances that Jorah is making. And with them not being as... I don't really know how to describe it in a nice way. They're not as aggressive as they could be. We could say that. That's true. 
So yeah. she's like, I feel like she's much more understanding about the situation because she does recognize the class that Jorah exhibits. She understands that he is trying to be honorable and keep it just business. And he will. He won't cross the line until she does. Or if she does, you know what I mean? I think that's true. But she is also kind of worried. She says, or she asks herself, does he really think of me as his queen, though? And I, I don't know what that meant. I wonder if it means, like, does he respect her or is he always trying to teach or protect? There's never like that. You know, I think all that comes later, though, especially in the TV series. Once she starts really throwing her, you know, political power around. Right. Then he really, I think... Really, like he's already sworn loyalty to her. Okay, that's super important. Nobody's trying to diminish that. But I think he really, really gets behind her a little later on once she really starts kicking ass. I think it's interesting that um I mean he he kind of doesn't want to leave Danny, but she sends him on a mission in this within this chapter. Glad we heard back from him in this chapter. Um, obviously, a very important part of the chapters when he comes back. But you know. He didn't want to leave at first, and it was weird, but she was just like, dude, you're like the most qualified person for this job. You I mean, it's true. Languages. And then I didn't know, but I, I was wondering, because I think this is the first time we see Danny speaking Valyrian. It was a surprise, because I expected it to be the same kind of reveal that was in the show, you know? Yeah, exactly, with the uh, <laughs> the unsavory uh, slave trader gentleman. Right. But in this case, it's just the ship captain. Whom Jorah finds, comes back. Um, obviously, she gets uh, some really, really important news. And I liked how it was described as being a gift. Because they are, even though they're in the free cities and they're in Karth, and this is the first actual establishment she maybe has seen since leaving Illyria. I mean, if I can, if you really think back, she's been intense a lot, you know, <laughs> in, in, in deserted cities. You know, you know what I'm saying. This, I, is, I a, this saying. is a This is a huge center of commerce. That she's in now. The gift of news, of some something as powerful as knowledge, um, or as easy to come by as, as knowledge. But in those parts, it's quite scarce. The fact that Robert Baratheon has died. And this is a weight that nobody could have lifted uh, you know, from her, or could have expected how much of a weight was lifted uh, upon that news. Apparently, she's been dreaming about Robert Baratheon. He's been, I think it was described as a giant shadow. Uh, you know, in her life, hanging over the idea that she may have to one day come foot to foot with this guy who loves war above anything else, except maybe drinking. <laughs> and it's so interesting to get this look at Robert from Danny because her perspective is of a person that's never met the jolly Robert Baratheon or, or his friend Ned, who's quiet yet cool and subtle. She's never met these guys. So, you know, in our minds, we're like, Danny, please stop describing him before I stop liking you. And then <laughs> on the other hand, it's like, well, I understand this completely because I mean, she's walking through Karth. We're seeing a beautiful, majestic city full of people that are dressed so magnificently that she considers all of them lords. We're talking about a place that has never been described in this book series so far. We're talking about a place that they consider the greatest city that ever is or ever was a place that apparently is the center of what should be considered the world. All that being said, she's she's in a place this rich. She's in a place that is this exotic to her. Yet she's still getting fond over. We've got Zaro. We've got Pi 
we've got these people that are offering her, well, come hang out in my Tower of Dust or come hang out with me in my Palace of Lust. <laughs> <My> Tower of <laughs> Dust. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's all of these things that's getting thrown at her. And this has been happening since an early age. So when someone comes and brings her the news of the person that put her in this position, that even put her here, at all. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the the mindset that she's in and the kind of things that she's worrying about in her mind and the plans that she's sort of half-assed creating quickly on the spot. And this is why she tells the dude, she's like, hey, listen, if you ever come by King's Landing later and I'm queen, stop by. You'll get a nice present again. <laughs> and you know he will. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for that to be like the ending scene in the books. I'll just be like, hey, what's up? She'll be like, okay, got your uh, your land. Uh, you can have all Heron of Heron Hall, uh, take it. Yeah, take it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a blessing and a curse. Yes. Um, the but, last uh, owner didn't have it that long. Can Heron Hall, though, get any more melted than it already is? That That is a question. Why did it stop where it did in terms of uh, the melting? And, and, and won't more places, if Daenerys is truly <laughs> queen, won't more places look just like or worse than Heron Hall? No, that is so, a good question, yeah. It could be prime real estate, man. Yeah. It could be like the uh, – maybe it's uh, just as melted but not as uh, – you know, hot to the touch by the time that it all happens. But I don't know. The interesting thing, and I think that even though she is being coddled, which is kind of a stark contrast to the desperation they showed, right. um, you know, in, in, in the show, she still has her, uh, uh, at least a portion of her wits about her. She's very observant and she doesn't trust shadow binders. And this is something that comes into play kind of just for the first time. Cause again, it has only been two Danny chapters, including this one since, you know, the fate of Khal Drogo at the end of the last book. Um, basically due to the association of Danny and Miri Mazdur, any shadow binder that wants to seek her favor really needs to, um, work hard at it. So that's why she already has doubts about, uh, Quaith when Quaith first comes up to her outside the gate. So she has to kind of earn Danny's trust. And I think one of the ways she does this is by coming up to Danny and, and instead of saying, you know, welcome this, that, the other thing, like everybody else does, she warns her. She actually issues a kind of a cryptic uh, warning for Danny. In a situation where so many people are falling at your feet and in some cases kissing said feet, um, a person walking up to you and being the separationist from all of them is going to catch your attention. And it doesn't hurt when that person has a mask over his or her face that always kind of uh, advances the importance of the situation. But <laughs> I think that it is sound advice, and so does Jorah. Even in his beautiful, beautiful Westerosian armor, uh, his advice is not taken lightly. Yeah, and I think one of the things that this chapter didn't illustrate that I was kind of expecting it to was the vulnerability of the dragons, um, because they are in a position almost ripe for the taking at this point. They're not you know, fully grown. We know this from, from the show, they do get taken eventually. And I, I'd be really concerned if that doesn't happen in the book, but still like right now on this chapter, they're kind of just, you know, flying or kind of scattering around the floor, skimpering, this, that, the other thing, climbing up on her. But what Quaith says is that, uh, you know, people, when they see the dragons, they're going to lust for them. And it's, it really kind of puts things into perspective here that, you know, and we see this with the ship captain too, where she says, Oh, I should, you know, totally repay you for this knowledge and this gift, this incredible gift you've given me. And he's like, Nope, I got to see you. I saw your dragons. That's cool. We're cool. You know, you don't owe me anything. Just the, uh, the ability to look on dragons apparently holds such, uh, significance to, you know, not just this guy, surely everybody. 
because they're supposed to be gone. I mean, I can only imagine the value that armies and leaders across this planet would give to these dragons. And we're talking about people that have chosen to live their lives in a place that's obsessed with wealth and material values and material goods. So if there was a place for Danny to go that had multiple threats and not just one leader, it would be the city that is focused on gold and has 13 separate leaders. Like this <laughs> yeah. technically is one of the places where if she, I mean, if she played her cards correctly, if she played the game correctly, she could walk out of this city with the fleet. But mm. if she doesn't, you know, there's a lot more chances of things to go wrong in this case for her, sadly. You know, and I felt this chapter particularly ended, you know, in kind of a foreboding way because her and uh, Jorah were talking about how dragons, even dragons can, can die or be taken down. Um, and there, you know, there was kind of a nod to Viserys, um, you know, who was, who was killed. She references that. Drogo's dead. It's all kind of like, it's all about fa falling or fallen warriors. And yet Danny's in a position where she's here and for the first time in a little bit of a time, she's not dying <laughs> um, and is, is having an opportunity to build her army and become kind of her own warrior. But even she was like, yeah, the rightful heir was probably my brother. Uh, things are a little weird now that he's dead. So it was kind of interesting to, to hear her talk about that. Yeah, and we don't get enough Danny chapters. And I really think that I understand so much more why she was such an early fan favorite. I mean, even though the, the latter book readers understand the scale of what she eventually reaches to, but being 20 odd chapters into A Clash of Kings and only having two with Daenerys is, I mean, it really makes you kind of like, it, what is it called? Like absence makes the heart grow fonder, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I want to know more about Karth and what's happening here and maybe read a little less about what's going on in Winterfell or Pike. You know what I mean? Some of the kind of slower things. Yeah. So it's it, it's a push and pull and it's a toss up. Uh, I mean, getting little nuggets like this inside of a book that's so much focused on what's happening in Westeros is really cool, much like as we saw it in the show. And obviously, George is more comfortable putting in as little as he wants versus a TV show that needs a cut of these people. You know, <laughs> got to keep them in a certain place as far as billing is concerned. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I got to say, it's definitely interesting then, and you know, thinking about that too, that the show manages to balance or show so much of Daenerys. Right, and and that goes back to what we were saying about the gate. It all kind of it all comes down to that. The way that the showrunners handled Karth, I mean, they essentially had to do it. Comparatively speaking to the book here, we've got you know lumps and lumps of content that are focused on different people, and you've got an entire TV show to write. So, I mean, I think they did a pretty outstanding job with it. Obviously, the same message was told in the end. You know, so as far as we know, so who knows? Yeah. Oh no! What hey, is do it? Do you hear the uh, Do you hear the oven alarm? <laughs> oh my god! The, literally, we will mint the person in bronze. <laughs> do you hear this <laughs> on the shores of Pike? <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, would be the annoying horn blower, aka the oven alarm, next door to Eric Skull. <laughs> oh, and that is time for owns. Yes, and and let's 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 try and move past the idea that. That we're getting, that I'm getting owned by this damn thing that's mm -hmm. going, you know what? I'm going to be moving in a month and there better not be an oven alarm where I'm moving to. The chances are there will be. There's, you know what they say, Zach. <laughs> where there is an oven, there is an own. Uh, if, if the V were a W <laughs> or an Owen, perhaps there's an Owen. There if is there an any Owen. Owens, if there are any Owens listening, Aunt episode, please write in to us. But, but Zach, what, what, what would you say is your own of this Daenerys 2 chapter? What a conversational two-person episode we're having here, Eric. Does my own go to Kohoro Mo, Captain of the Cinnamon Wind? 
Or <laughs> does it go to Drogon for riding on Danny's shoulders throughout a crowded city? That's pretty cool that he got to do that. Um, does it go to Pyat Pri for having bluer lips than everyone else? Or does it go to Zaro for having the sweetest house in Karth? Yes, it does. Oh. Zaro's palace is bigger than Illyrio's palace, she says. she ma- It makes Illyrio's entire place look like a place where pigs sleep, like the pig hovel, <laughs> like where you go quest in World of Warcraft and you hate it. That's what it looks like, literally. Uh-oh. Gargle's hovel, it looks just like that in the Twilight Highlands, and it sucks. Zaro has the biggest house. Her entire Kalasar is sleeping inside of it, including the horses. She gets to do this. <laughs> Everyone listening, I want you to imagine, trust me for a moment. Just just put your fate in my hands. Stop the car if you're driving. Don't do that. Imagine this. She goes out to bathe naked. But this is you. This isn't her. Get this out of your mind. She goes out to bathe in a pool. She gets an entire wing of Zara's house. An entire wing. Yeah. You get a wing and you get you a get wing. You get a wing. <laughs> Everyone's flying. No. She goes out into her the bathing pool and her wing of his palace. The bathing pool is so cool that there are fish that are small enough to like bite you and clean you, but not enough to piss you off or anything. <laughs> so the own goes to Zara for having that house. And another one to George for describing that house. I would like this house. Yeah. That was I bet there are other pools with uh, more aggressive fish. Depending depending on your on your taste. Well I have to give mine uh, also to an inanimate object. Um, mine goes to the inner wall of Karth, and 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 this is be, this is really because okay, haha, it's funny, it's you know, it's a reference to well, it's not a reference, it's 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 explicit uh sexual content, but pornography, it's porn, it's porn, okay, it's porn on the wall of Karth. But the reason that I liked it is because it makes Danny blush, and Danny's you know a badass, okay, she's ready to talk about the complete annihilation. Of all of op- the opposition she's going to face in the upcoming battle between her and all seven kingdoms of Westeros. Okay. But she sees this wall and she's like, and how bad could it be? Okay. She's, she's, she sees this wall and she blushes. So I have to give it to the wall of Karth, the inner wall too. Um, because it just kind of, I don't know. I, I like it and it makes her blush and she's a badass and it catches her by surprise. So. Congrats to the inner wall, I guess. I mean, the walls of Karth itself with their three-layer design are much like an onion, but yet more beautiful than a cake. Ooh. Yeah. I just think, uh, now I'm thinking of onion cake. Mmm. That sounds cannot, horrible. It can't be good. Actually, yeah. you know what? It sounds pretty damn good. I'm not going to lie. Well, you onion see, folks, cake. Eric and I, we make episodes together. It's late at night. Lots of things are happening. This is a podcast that, if you're just joining us for the first time, is usually... Four strong, but you know, the weeks continue, the days continue, and this is Wednesday, so hump day couldn't be complete without an episode, right? No, it couldn't be, and in fact, there were even camels that, that uh, happened. Camels happened. Last but not least, own-wise, this is an honorable mention own for Mr. Micah Tannenbaum, who cannot be with us this evening. An army, a.k.a. a camelry, that they used in the book. <laughs> a cam- a pillar of a camelry, a column of a camelry, came out of Karth. How many other C words can we use? Camelry. Kind of like a cavalry. But it's like camels with uh, jousting equipment and stuff. It's with camelry, much more efficient hydration schedules. Camelry. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. yeah. So no, we're saving all camel conversation until Micah returns. 
This is one of those chapters you guys have to read. And this is one of those episodes where we have decided to save owns. We've decided to save tweets. We've decided to take Facebook scrawlings, as we like to call them. And we're going to save that until Friday happens. We can wish you off into the weekend with kind, gracious, glorious words, including the ones that you reserved for this episodes that are probably including lots of camels. You know, you just you just gave me uh, or because of what you said, I was inspired to come up with a slogan, which we they, we then can spout on Friday. How do you like this for size? Scrawl on our wall. <laughs> I like that. You like it, right? Yeah, no, right? it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Scrawl on our wall because we I feel like, you know, we, we, we do promote our Twitter, uh, which is Twitter dot com slash Game of Owns. We do promote our email quite a bit. Contact at GameOfOwns.com. We always say, oh, yeah, and Facebook. But really, I feel like if we had a slogan, it would be even – it would draw more attention to our Facebook. So let's see how many new likes we can get on Facebook. Like us at Facebook.com slash GameOfOwns. And while you're there liking us, scroll on our wall. <laughs> Please uh, scroll with – any writing utensil you have or anything that can make patterns. Yes. Also, just in case you guys are making plans for Friday, don't because we have lots of really great content coming out of our show podcast thing that you're listening to in the form of exclusive, incredible, exclusive, exclusive, meaning exclusive. the WIC team was in effect at TitanCon this past weekend alongside all of the incredible Game of Thrones costumes. Some of you guys might even be listening. We have a lot of audio and fun stuff from that event, which we will share with you all on Friday. You know, you just mentioned Titans. Speaking of Titans, we also will be delving into Bran's chapter. The Titan! The Titan! If he's not a Titan, he could warg into one. We'll find out more on Friday's episode. Until then, stay gooey. I'm Eric Skull. And I am Zach Louie. Hey, poetic. Stay gooey, my friends. Remember, let the goo be with you. Always. There's a song by Regina Spector called Blue Lips. I think we got to probably give that one an own. It's obligatory because, uh, of course, Pyatt Pre has blue lips. All that nightshade. That was explained in this chapter. Kind of off, you know, it's offhanded or whatever. It, I think Zara says it. Um, but, uh, you know, it was such a mystery for me in the in the series. I remember asking, you know, why does he have blue lips? I mean, and, it makes um, sense, right? Because it kind of tricks you into thinking that there's something going on you don't quite understand. Right. Well, it's just basically like he had uh what was it? Remember fruit by the foot? And like when you'd eat fruit yes. by the foot, your tongue, your tongue would go like blue or purple afterwards. Or more it's red. It's like that. Except uh, shade of the moon or nightshade or whatever you want to call it. Um, It's referred to as, as different things in this book. Uh, it just kind of has that same Kool-Aid, uh, Kool-Aid effect. I like the Kool-Aid effect. And just in case you were... Mag- uh, and just in case. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh.